Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the 2017 film Phantom Thread, and I'm honored to welcome to the show Ryan McQuaid. Ryan, welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Thank you for having me on, Rob. How are you doing? Pretty good. Dealing with the, you know, COVID world and as best we can. We were talked about for a while prior to hitting record, just relating like, how are you doing? Like, fuck, (laughs) as best as I can. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, yeah. Hanging in there and... uh, Tell people a little bit about uh, who you are and what you have going on for people that don't know. Well, my name is Ryan McQuaid, um, as Rob said, and I am a writer and podcaster uh, for a couple of platforms. So I write uh, a lot of my pieces over at awardcircuit.com, um, which is run by Clayton Davis and a lot of great people over there. I think you've heard one of our contributors before, Karen Peterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this podcast, and Karen's great, and as well as a ton of other writers we have over there. And I appear sometimes on the Circuit Breaker podcast, um, which is just kind of like a free form. Most of the time, we cover the Oscar kind of podcast, uh, you know, doing the best we can right now during these crazy circumstances. But, uh, uh, and then my other gig is I'm a podcaster and writer over at InSessionFilm.com. And so over there, I co-host the Extra Film podcast. And so we usually focus over there on the indie films or the movies that normally don't get covered by uh, J.D. Durant and Brendan Cassidy on the main show. And I do that show with uh, Mr. J. Ledbetter. And... We started at the beginning of this year changing it up, Rob, because last year we seemed at times we were doing like some movies, uh, some partnerships that we were just like not really enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm. And so this year we decided what we're going to do is we're going to do like in the front half of our episodes, some movie series. And then in the back half, we'll do a new release. Um, and that worked out perfectly because then, <laughs> then the limited releases started becoming very limited and there wasn't a lot, you know, the theater shut down and there were no festivals. So it was kind of the perfect time to go back and explore uh, franchises. We started with the James Bond franchise and we went through, I think about like one or at least two per bond. And we went really in depth with that. And then we started diving into director's filmographies. So we did Robert Altman. We did 10 movies on that. And now we're, starting our David Lean series. And so, uh, and that's kind of what we've been doing and what we're going to keep doing throughout the rest of the year because it's it gets us to check off some blind spots off our resumes. And that's ultimately, I think, what's just as good as seeing new movies as seeing older movies and having an appreciation for both. Yeah, and, and that's part of what I, I love about this show is that sometimes I've been able to go back and watch some older movies that people bring to the to the table that I had had never gotten a chance or never made the time to to check up on. Uh, so you mentioned the Oscar coverage. So uh, what are your what is kind of your your thoughts on what's going to go down with the the next Oscar race, considering the uh, all the changes in rules? I know as of this recording, I think I saw today that the Academy is letting agents now vote for the nominees. Uh, would you care to weigh in on on what the hell the Oscars are going to look like next year? 
I really don't want to, but yeah, no, sure, I can. Um, well, the other thing is, I, I forgot to mention, is that I do, on In Session Film, I do also my own Oscar show, which is called Chasing the Gold. And we recently did an episode kind of talking about a lot of this and where we felt the industry was before, you know, obviously the theaters pushed back Tenet and Mulan. And and yes, the, the agents, which make up like 1% mm-hmm. of the Academy now, of the voting body. It's like 111 members and it's been this fight for years and it's it's a very big eye roll you know i'm sure the academy is going to get some backlash for it and it's it seems very it's it just seems very unnecessary and um and i saw a lot of people freaking out and i'm just like i don't have the time for it like there's too much going on like that <laughs> like who who cares about them actually just care about in a nutshell yeah, like it, it, it. Basically, what I think of agents: who gives a crap? Just give them the vote and tell them to shut yeah. up. You know, they'll be happy. Um, but as for the Oscars, I mean, look, they moved it back to to April of next year. Uh, they extended the eligibility window. Um, they announced some really good stuff, like they're going to go back to uh, a ten film lineup after this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to look forward to. They're going to do within that next year um, these kind of academies, you know, blocks of screeners. So every quarter, they'll send like screeners of movies that were going to be eligible for Oscars. So then we could probably see some more films from the beginning half of the year be represented at the Oscars. And because usually all those screeners get sent out the latter part of the year, and then those newer movies are coming out and they have all the buzz. So the movies from the beginning half of the year, they get put down at the bottom of those piles. And then that's why like something like 1917 or little women can come out in the last second and they can steal a bunch of Oscar nominations from something earlier in the year. Right. Right. And then something like the farewell or us or book smart, they don't get the recognition they deserve. So, and, and I think a lot of people are worried about that with the extended eligibility, but if the theaters keep pushing back, movies are going to get pushed back um, in terms of getting into the theaters. I still think something like defy bloods, is going to be a big player. You know, mm-hmm. it's Netflix. Netflix is going to have a huge uh, presence, even though they're not going to be really campaigning a lot at the film festivals. They're going to kind of just save their monies for ad campaigns and things like that. I think sort of when we start getting back to theaters opening up, September's opening up, Telluride's going to happen. They're going to do a virtual Toronto. Uh, Venice, for the love of God, for some reason, is going to happen. <laughs> and... And we'll start slowly having it by the end of the year, go back to normal-ish when the vaccine starts rolling around. And then, of course, then it'll just be like the mad four months instead of like last year where it was very abridged. This year, it'll be longer and there'll be more debates and campaigning and all the stuff that a lot of people don't like, but people like me find interesting. And Mm -hmm. so it could lead to a really interesting winner because then you also have the election. You know right. what I mean? And last time, you know, a president was nominated, you know, was nominated. It was the guy in the White House right now. And the answer to that was something like Moonlight. You know what I mean? And right. so it was a very, it was, it was a very purposeful, memorable movie. Um, but if he doesn't get reelected, look for something light or cheerful. And it might be like that because people are going to be like, all right, I'm out of a pandemic. I don't need like some four-hour you know, movie about existentialism to win Best Picture this year. I need something happy. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be very up in the air, but uh, it, it should be really interesting to see how it all plays out now that we have two extra months added onto it. Is there, you know, as of now, we're recording this at the very end of June. 
is there any particular movie that you think would not have had a shot at Oscar nominations that now is looking like it'll probably get some uh, get some of the major nominations? Oh, I mean, I still think something like if we were in a regular year, is that what you're kind of asking? Like, yeah, we were, like yeah. something that yeah, because of the the pandemic might might have a little bit more of a of a chance of sneaking in there since the Oscar race is all over the place already anyway. I think something like Invisible Man. Yeah. Like, I still think that that one's a very topical film. It made a lot of money when it was in the box office. Um, we're not going to have a lot of movies that have box office prestige. So that's one going to be that said, oh, we made it for like $5 million and then made a crap ton of money. Right. And I think that Elizabeth Moss's performance is great. And you're going to be able to say she's had two great performances. And usually you're, the bigger successful ones tend to get the recognition. Um, something like Shirley will probably go to like independent spirits, spirit awards, right? yeah, you know? uh, or the Gotham's. But I, personally, I w- I think that that one's it's very topical. It's a lot like the Five Bloods, right? It's very topical, very entertaining. Um, yeah, those are those are movies I think that that can break through this this mold, right? And it's done well on VOD too. People are able to watch it at home. Mm-hmm. And they're able to be like, yeah, those. It's it's more than just like a, a horror movie. It's it's very reminds me very much of of not to the same quality in my opinion, but it reminds me a lot of why the Academy fell in love with Get Out. It it has a it has a, something extra tied to that film, and that's why I still think that that could be a big player. Yeah, I, that's one of the ones I was thinking as well. Not only because of like the uh, the kind of the social commentary in, in there and sort of the the, the subtext of the film, I think having it available at home, it sort of feeds into the pandemic paranoia in a way too. Yeah. Oh yeah. You mentioned get out. I think that the Academy has shown a lot of, there's, there's been a lot of, um, you know, groundswell of people trying to get horror to break through uh, in a bigger way. Get out was probably the most, you know, the best example of that recently, but things like, you know, Tony Collette's performance in hereditary that got overlooked and, and things like that, that I think uh, it's really sort of, you know, reaching a, a turning point in the way that perhaps, you know, superhero and comic book movies have have done so with Heath Ledger winning and then, you know, obviously Joaquin Phoenix winning and those those movies sort of kind of being able to sneak in through the cracks of what an air quotes awards movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it's, you know, ironically, we're, we're talking about a movie in this episode that is very much what you would think of as an awards movie uh, in large degree. So, um what you know before we get into phantom thread what are sort of your overall thoughts on pta and uh his filmography and, and where you are you are is he one of your favorite filmmakers are you a big proponent of his movies and if so why well, i think um for most people our age paul thomas anderson is a very important filmmaker mm-hmm. and for me personally i i echo a lot of what my co-host Jay Ledbetter has said, I think a, you know, like a, a moment, a movie moment in time that I kind of flipped and it was like, yeah, this is, this is something I love was back in 2007 when I saw There Will Be Blood in theaters. Weirdly, I saw that with my mom. Don't know why she wanted to go with me, but <laughs> we ended up going and seeing it and she actually loved it. And I did too. And I went and saw it again by myself and and uh, I mean, that's a very heavy movie for like 2007 and the right. young me. But I just remember falling in love with the way he was telling stories. And 
I had seen Punch Drug Love and I had seen Magnolia and Boogie Nights, you know, on old, you know, either VHSs or or DVDs. And I just loved them so much. But then that movie was the one that took it over the top. And then I've, yes, I ever since then, I have just seen his movies. I've seen them all with my now wife. She was my girlfriend at the time when we saw The Master and Inherent Vice and, and, and Phantom Thread. Um, but she's now my wife and those have been some of our more interesting conversations, interesting theater going experiences. I remember each one. Um, and so I truly think he is one of our last great event filmmakers that shoots on film. I, I, I agree with him so much and some of the other directors as well, like Scorsese and Nolan about shooting on film and that kind of restoration and, you know, when I see his movies, I make it a, a you know a great deal to find out where the seventy millimeter or the thirty five millimeter you know prints are being shown, so we can watch it. Um, because I think that there's it's it's something special, you know. And I think that that's what Paul Thomas Anderson means to me. It means to a lot of people, not to some, um, but and I get that. And I think he's a, a unique filmmaker still, as he's made more accessible films. Uh, you know, but uh, for me personally, I think he is one of my favorite directors, uh, top five for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think it, there's a certain, there's a, there's a certain thing, there's a certain element of, uh, I think that sort of, uh, not only level of, of quality of work, but like very, very focused, uh, I don't know. I'm, try, I'm trying to say something specific, but it's I'm not kind of, getting it's kind there. Of, it's kind, he's very meticulous. He, he is. He is very meticulous. Yeah. And I will get into why I think Reynolds Woodcock is feels very much like a PTA <laughs> avatar in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think that he and Daniel Day-Lewis clearly have that in common. If you look at both of their filmographies, the last 30 years, PTA has made, like, I'm looking at the list here, like eight movies. And I uh, Daniel Day-Lewis has made like maybe 10, 11, something like that. Like very, it takes a lot for them to commit to a project. They're not, you know, they're not the kind of uh, artists that just bang out a movie every year to like clockwork. It's, it takes something very specific uh, to inspire them to want to devote that time to a project and to, to really kind of see it through because their visions are so specific. And I think, you know, you mentioned about there will be, there will be blood kind of being an awakening for you. And for me, when I saw it, I went to see it with my family, which was not, I don't know why we did that. Right. But, you don't know. I went with my <laughs> mom. I, I don't like, know why we saw it. <laughs> I think we were, we were all like uh, expecting something much different than what we got. And so <laughs> the vibe in that, you know, I grew up in a household where we watched very much mainstream populist entertainment. We weren't really mm-hmm. super into the art films. So when I saw it in my early twenties, I, I, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way and I haven't still haven't really gone back to revisit it. And I feel like now I've become such more, so much more of an appreciator of those kinds of movies mm-hmm. that I've gone because I, I had such sort of a weird experience with there will be blood. I kind of stayed away from PTA stuff since mm-hmm. then. And it's only recently that I was like, you know what, let me go back and watch Magnolia. Let me go back and watch punch drunk club and actually did an episode on, on that movie. And I like both of those a lot. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm slowly coming around to, where you know film twitter kind of lands on pta as a as a filmmaker yeah and i feel like there's been like this it happens to i think popular directors so i don't mm-hmm. think it's just him i think you know i see it with nolan i see it with i see it with spielberg i see it with scorsese i see it with pretty much every director that you're gonna say that you love 
the majority right. of people say they love where there's this pushback on you know the quality of his work or maybe even who he is as a person which i mean you know i mean the guy is like you know pretty much been <laughs> a dad and a in a in a in a good you know partner to Maya Rudolph the last you know twenty years or so it's right. it's it, it that that stuff it never bothers me I just think that he does make movies that are very challenging mm-hmm. they are they do take a lot of risks they aren't for everyone um, but I think for the most people they get at least something out of it you can find something enjoyable out of every one of his movies something interesting thought-provoking he is one of our last thinking people's direct director you know in my humble opinion like mm-hmm. when we go to his movies i'm never i never feel like i'm walking out and thinking wow that was completely stupid like that was dumb like you know like i right. i i click to something and, and i think with that you and i rob with having that love for him or that intrigue after you see those movies, then you want to go back and see his other stuff and see where he was coming from at those angles. And, and then, you know, when we come back and look at something like Phantom Thread that's newer and fresher, you're able to pick it apart and dissect it. And it leads to even more understanding. And each time you watch the movies that he makes, you pick up something more. And I find that fascinating. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird because I think his movies, at least from my perspective, they do come across almost as, as a little bit of an acquired taste. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it, his movies never really go down smooth. If you're, if you're reading into them, there's a lot there. There's a lot to, to discuss, to analyze, to break down and all that good stuff. But if you're not prepared to bring that to, to bring that to the table, if you just want entertainment, not really, not really going to do it for you as much. <laughs> it, they are very uh, not off-putting, but I mean, certainly, I think elements of this movie are off-putting, yeah. and I think that if that's not something you're, if you're not willing to put in the work that PTA or you know the Daniel Day Lewis does, probably you're probably not going to resonate with you. But I, I think mm. for people like us who are are curious about the, uh, the 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 actor or the filmmaker and their intentions and and the fact that everything is so purposeful uh, and everything is so uh, delicately choreographed on a on a narrative scale. I think that that there is you know there's a lot to to there's a lot beneath the surface basically. Yeah. I think some directors make movies for audiences, mm-hmm. and some directors just make movies. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think his biggest influence is Robert Altman. Robert Altman didn't make a lot of movies for people. He made them because he's like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to tell. And, you know, for a good 10 years, 12 years stint in the 70s, Robert Altman made like, like 11, 12 movies in a row. And he just got to do whatever he wanted. And because MASH was such a big success, he got like carte blanche, right? And that's the same with PTA. Like, Every now and then, like he'll he'll make a movie, like he'll make a Boogie Nights or a Magnolia, and puts them on the big front, and then he makes, you know, Punch Star Glove, and then he then he makes There Will Be Blood, and it's like everyone's talking about it's the best film of the decade, right? Right. So then he makes The Master and Inherent Vice, and he makes Phantom Thread, and they're like, okay, this guy, he he knows how to make them on small budgets, but then, you know, he'll he just does it on his own. Thing. Like, it's not about accessibility. It's not about like how many people you can get in the, this, you know, theater at this. It's like, hey, I'm making a movie. It's this is what it is. You want to see it? Come and see it. 
Um, but it's my thing. It's not, you know, and, and then I think that makes you as an audience member or as a critic or whatever you are, I think that makes you have to interpret it on your own more sometimes than you are having to interpret it under him mm-hmm. because you have to initially grapple with it yourself. And then, like you said, you have to go back and dissect it and figure out, okay, what is he telling me? Cause now I think I know what he's telling me. Now, what is he actually telling me or do they line up? You know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. Uh, I think that's kind of a good segue into the actual movie itself. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Phantom Thread. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. Why are you not married? That was a little bit of the trailer for Phantom Thread from 2017. Written and directed, of course, by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, We were talking about Oscars earlier. This was obviously nominated for a bunch, including Best Picture, Best Actor. And naturally, given the the sort of world in which this is set, one for costume design, which, of course, it's one of those obvious wins that you give the Oscar for costume (laughs) design to the movie about fashion. uh, And I think well-deserved in that case. So... You know, we sort of, I guess, tell me a little bit about what is it about this movie that you love? And secondly, this is supposedly Daniel Day-Lewis's last movie. Do you think he's going to actually stick to that this time? Okay, so that's two questions. That's two questions. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I'll answer the latter first, which is um, I don't think this will be Daniel Day-Lewis's last movie. Mm -hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson will get a trilogy out of him and they will at one point down the road do something again, either Paul Thomas Anderson or Martin Scorsese. One of those two. Like, I think that, you know, if he was, if Marty's able to get Pesci out of kind of like semi-retirement for the, that's Irish, a good point. <laughs> yeah. He can get, you know, Daniel day Lewis because he's worked on age of innocence and um, he's worked on uh, Gaines in New York with him. So, um, I think that that could happen. Um, and, and, you know, he's, it's been what, three years now, four years, probably since he shot this, mm-hmm. the itch will come alive. Trust me. It was, you know, for a guy like Daniel day Lewis, who I would say is the greatest actor, you know, of his generation, um, one of the greatest actors of all time. That doesn't, that doesn't leave you. You can go and cobble as much as you want in like Montana or wherever he lives at, but at a certain point you want to go do some work. He so. seems like he seems like he has an interesting relationship with the craft too. It's just, yeah. you know, he's clearly obviously not in it for the fame. He he's clearly not in it to just like uh, you know, keep busy or, or anything like that. He, he he it's hard to imagine him doing a a wired autocomplete interview, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or or like making the uh doing 
doing uh, carpool karaoke or something like in this sort of yeah. viral world that we live in. It, and, you know, he comes out every few years, makes a movie and then kind of retreats. And it just, cause he goes, he's, as you were saying, one of the best actors of our, of our time. And I think that's because he commits so much time and energy to it that by the end of it, he's just like, I don't want to do this again for a while. <laughs> just like, I'll tell them I'm retiring. Cause I don't want, I don't want the pressure of, Hey Daniel, when's your next movie? It's like, I'm done until I decide I'm not to kind of, you know, share, like, like share with her, like farewell tours every five years or whatever. But yes, I, I think you're probably onto something there. As for the film Phantom Thread itself. Um, look, I love Paul Thomas Anderson and, uh, I love, like I said, There Will Be Blood, and that was the, the last time Daniel Day-Lewis and PTA worked together. They made a masterpiece. You know, they, they made one of the greatest American films of not just the 21st century, but I think of all time. You know, the, a movie that just deeply tackles the idea of American capitalism in this, like, three-hour Western epic you know, and I felt like Daniel Day-Lewis got a lot of credit for that because of his towering performance. Mm -hmm. But behind that is also PTA's beautiful direction. Johnny Greenwood's amazing score. You know, the, the, the great cinematography. Like, that movie is just great. Like, and, and the people that say otherwise, it's just like, come on. You, I know deep down you know it's great. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know it. Um, but so I had very much a big hype for this, right? I think, I think when, when you see something like that and it's formative in your years and you see that those collaborators are coming back together, Greenwood, PTA, DDL, you're like, oh my God, yes. And then you hear he's kind of influence. I heard that it was very Rebecca-esque, which is one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies. I love Rebecca. And I think it's in it's it's the only film I think Hitchcock won Best Picture for one of his only films. Um, yes, so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then it was all about like fashion, which was weird. Like mm -hmm. it was like a weird twist for PTA to like go down the fashion line. But I was like, okay, sure. Like we'll go down there. And then I saw the trailer, and the trailer played it off like a thriller, right? It, it, almost like with some horror elements, right? And so. Therefore, I was like, okay, there's no way it's like that because PTA is also a master subverter of expectations as well. So I said, okay, this will be interesting. So I went to an early screening of this with my wife. We sat kind of like, I think, because it was so packed, it's like second row under the right. Um, and so I was like, I have my, like my neck all the way up. And from the opening it just consumed me and I was melted away by the score by, like you say, Mark Bridges costume design, um, DDL's performance, but then also Leslie Manville, Vicky mm -hmm. creeps, who's extraordinary and the humor around this movie, which I, I mean, we'll talk about probably more. I didn't think it was going to be as funny and as biting as any movie I've seen in quite some time. And ultimately, by the end, I had this smile on my face. 
And the reason why is because I think this movie really encapsulates what it is like, not just for an artist to be in a relationship, but for somebody to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. It is a constant battle for control. Like psychologists just talk about it for years. And that's exactly what this movie does. And it switches left and right. But ultimately in the end, the control is in the hand of Vicky Creeps. It's in Alma's hand. And it's such an interesting way of telling the story and how it's kind of semi-inspired by DDL and his marriage and Paul Thomas Anderson and his marriage to Maya Rudolph when he got sick and all those origins with it. But ultimately, it is one of the more interesting romantic drama comedies I've ever seen. And it has some, in, some biting things to say and some controversial things with it as well that people have talked to me about over the years. But each time I see it, I pick up more and more. And I mean, I like, I told you off air, I wrote like four and a half pages of notes <laughs> for this thing and I could have kept going. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it was one of, it was my number five film of last decade. And it was my number one film of that year and it wasn't even close. So yeah, I just love this movie. Wow. Yeah, I, I for me, I mean, because of that being more of a, PTA, uh, you know, convert, I guess uh, it, it's it on a surface level watching this movie. Cause this was the second time I'd seen it preparing for this episode, uh, following the theatrical release is it, it feels very like on the surface level, it's very frustrating to watch because <laughs> of how Reynolds Woodcock is. Yes. And because, you know, I think it's easy to walk away from this movie. And this is probably more of what I, the vibe I got from it the first time of it being sort of a, a portrait of, of uh, you know, obviously toxic masculinity and, yes. and, you know, all that stuff. But in a way it, it's, it, it reminded me of a lot of those, uh, you know, those movies that basically focus on a, an artist trying, like find trying to identify like the, the, the price of genius or perfection mm. or whatever. So movies like Whiplash or Black Swan or Birdman or even Mother. And this sort of gave me sort of a mother vibe for a large part of it, just because it mm. is sort of the, the, the dynamic between a, an artist and, you know, his significant other. And in contrast to that movie where, where uh, Javier Bardem basically uses, literally uses up Jennifer Lawrence's character <laughs> this this is sort of the kind of the the complete uh, the complete opposite of that where Vicky creeps where Alma is able to sort of take control and in that way it it subverts you know mm-hmm. it subverts what you were saying subverts expectations but it subverts the kind of the story that it's, that it's t- been telling you know in a way it's it's been it's telling you it, it's comes across initially as this movie of this you know, very pompous, very meticulous, very uh, kind of damaged uh, because obviously he's got all kinds of, you know, issues with his mother and, and control issues and like all this, this pressure that he's under, which again is very true to life as far as creators and, and people like that. Um, and, and it almost comes across as a quasi abusive relationship at certain points because of uh, the way he treats Alma and things like that. But the fact that she kind of, that she retains control in the end and sort of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, tames him, I, I think is a really interesting 
really interesting switch that happens. And not only the way that, that she's able to retain the, the control, but the fact that they, I mean, I feel like we should talk about the ending and then kind of work backwards. The fact that they basically end up sort of co-conspirators at the end of this movie, yes. you know, yes. he, he realized, I, I like the fact that he is incredibly hard to deal with. I mean, she says in the very beginning, you know, what he desire, I give him what he desires most in return. Every piece of me, again, maybe which reminded me of mother. Uh, maybe he's the most demanding yet, man. And I wrote down, fuck yes. Um, and the fact that he is self-aware enough to know that about himself and to basically you know kind of concede to Alma that he needs her help in saving him from himself kind of thing and I think that that in and of itself makes you know I think I think helps me sort of get a a better grasp on what PTA is doing uh, because because so much of it so much of the of the runtime of the film is sort of frustrating and me being like, why is she with this guy? What an asshole. He, he's treating her like, like, you know, like completely disrespectful and all that other stuff. And the fact that it, it, it comes back around. And I guess I'm just like, you know, babbling on here about this. So what are your, what's sort of your, your take on the ending? And, and then I guess we can kind of work, work backwards in the, in the, the plot here. <laughs> well, I think when I first saw the ending, I was, shocked mm-hmm. um but then i but i've seen this movie so many times now the ending is the acceptance of reynolds realizing that alma has control of all all of this mm-hmm. like if you watch this film and i know we're doing the ending but you have to watch it and kind of slow it down i think that that's why this movie is so great throughout this movie there are moments of silence between the two characters. There's these analyzations, right? Where a character doesn't say anything to another and the other character becomes basically consumed with wanting to know the answer, Mm -hmm. right? This happens very early on at like dinner in the breakfast scene, right? The breakfast scene at the beginning, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful. (laughs) And, this the in that you can tell that this full this you know great fashion designer Reynolds Woodcock has done this to women over and over again where mm-hmm. he kind of uses them up or just kind of has his has his fun with them but then you know Cyril played by Leslie Manville kind of just takes you know gets rid of him quietly and says you know you're you know he's no longer in love with you anymore like the flame and passion's not there right it's kind of a sidekick and throughout the film as he starts to fall for Alma and they start having these you know control you know these battles for control right the it goes to the whole um things of of like when she's you know talking about the fabric's not right, right? And then it's the, you want to get yourself into trouble, but not too much trouble, kind of Mm -hmm. that whole tit for tat. And then that keeps going on with, you know, little things, right? As in a relationship, as you find, like you're working on something and and your wife walks into the room and she starts vacuuming or she starts cooking and moving pots and pans around, or in this case, butters really hard toast. (laughs) It throws you all off. And as the film goes on, those quiet moments, Alma's waiting for responses from Reynolds. And the last one she gets 
of that kind of waiting on him is, or at least this last significant one for me is when she says she loves him after the whole thing with Barbara Rose and the dress and he doesn't really respond. So at that point, she realizes he's being the stubborn ass that he is. And she takes matters into her own hands, right? She gets the control. And then when he's sick and he heal and he gets healed by her, not knowing that she's the one that got him sick, but she's also the one that healed him. Right. And that she has his life in the palm of his hand and can wave that magic wand whenever she wants to. Right. He asks her to marry her and her response is silence. Right. And it is just this whole, like he's, he looks so manic. Like, what are you waiting? He even says like, what are you doing? Like, what do you, you know? And she takes a deep breath. She shakes her head off and she smiles. She basically does exactly what he's doing right back at him. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so she does this throughout the rest of the film. And it was that point, right. Where he starts slowly, but surely realizing that he's changed. Like he has to change. Like he cannot be the same person that he used to be. He has to be a good man. He has to be a good husband. He has to be uh, less abrasive to those around him, right? Even yelling at someone like Cyril, right? She can take it because she knows what her brother's like. But she even says like, I don't want to hear this anymore because it hurts my ears, which is an all-time great line. Yeah. And so by the end, she makes this overabundance of of these mushrooms in this omelet, which my wife will never make me mushrooms in an omelet again. I just, I just, I, I, I fear for myself um, <laughs> and I, and I watch whatever I say, cause I never know when mushrooms are going to make it into the dinner at night here. But that is him figuring it out and realizing, Oh, she's exactly what I need. She knows exactly who I am. She is that person that I have gone and said that, you know, there's so many things that I want to do and things that I need to do, but overall she consumes the control. She is the, 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 I guess for a lack of a better term, but it's, it's kind of like that thing that we ask in in a previous movie, like who really is the master in the master, right? right? In this movie, Alma becomes the master. She becomes the one in control. And she even, within her flash forwards, which I think are, are true statements that actually happen because he's taught her the craft, like his mother taught him the craft. She becomes, you know, basically a conduit and becomes what he is, you know, a a partner, an actual partner in, in life and in work. And they find that balance. And that's why at the end of the film, it goes back to them, like the, as the credits are rolling thing, Mm-hmm. It goes back to them working on a dress together as opposed to them working apart, you know, those early mornings, because by the end of this film, they are partners. They aren't separate people at each other's throats. And yes, there's going to be arguments over the years and she's probably going to have to make it more mushroom omelets, <laughs> but it's the acknowledgement that it's, he's changing, he's getting better and she knows it and he acknowledges it. And then therefore at the end, he he gives her his undying love and like just is fixated on her towards the end of that film. So you so you find the ending, which to me was came across as I think 
I don't know, dysfunctional for, for sure. The whole mushroom omelet thing. The fact that she's just going to have to poison him every once in a while to remember. So he remembers why he loves her. It seems like, so you, you, you consider that sort of a, I don't know, a happy ending for them, or at least a sign of progress that he's trying to, that he's making an effort and recognizing the faults within himself. Yes. Okay. Because if you go back a couple of scenes before, here is the whole thing with the ballroom and new year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And there is that acceptance there of, yeah, I, you don't, it's, it's that feeling that we've all felt in relationships where we've, we probably said something or whatnot and gotten mad or we're at a party, but we can't not be with the person we love. Like he ultimately mm-hmm. does love Alma. Like this, yeah. is, this isn't some manipulative relationship. They do actually love each other. They work for each other. Like, you know, as much as he's fighting it because he believes in the stupid curse and you've lived life this certain way for so many years, right? You know, as a bachelor and just, and, and not conforming to change or having someone that's as smart and intelligent and talented or, or, or just as crafty of playing mind games as anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, obviously you're, you, you become bored by it. He's never bored through this, through this movie right. as, you know, as he uh, clearly falls in love with her. But when I, I totally didn't realize this, but the dress she's wearing at the New Year's Eve party, that's the dress they made together. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. yeah. Like I noticed that this time I was like, Oh my God, that's why she's wearing it. And when he storms out, he takes the double take. Cause he realizes, Oh my God, I made this terrible mistake. Like it's it's what guys have done throughout lives. We've done stupid things or we said, Oh, I'm working on this or oh, I'm, you know, I'm writing this. I can't pay attention. And then mm-hmm. we realized like our wives actually wanted us or our significant others actually wanted us to look at them and appreciate them and acknowledge them and our stubbornness get in the way. And she doesn't necessarily 100% forgive him there. There's not a forgiveness, but right. she, but there's no conversation because it's when he reaches his hand out to her, it's an acknowledgement of like, yeah, I fucked up. Like it. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. The fact that and he even went to the party, I think is already exactly. sort of a, a huge step forward for him. Yeah. And so then one of the final shots of the film is them in the middle of that dance floor holding each other ever so tightly. And especially Reynolds holding her because as much as, he puts up this facade of being this, I can do anything by myself. And we built this house and she casts a shadow and no, 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 no. It's all a front because she actually sees him for who he is. He's not as tough as he plays out to be. He's a mm-hmm. softy and he needs, he does. He's a person that is a product of structure and discipline. So what more structure and discipline than you falling out of line, your wife putting you back on course with, with this poison, you know what I mean? <laughs> and setting you straight. And I mean, and him realizing it's technically the medicine he needs. Right. right. And so, yeah, I find it to be, at first I found it jarring as I've gone on and on and on, I find it to be extremely romantic. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> that, I feel like that moment at the end, that it, at least initially it does, sort of play to me like a, a thriller, like a twist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that not only that she's poisoning him again, but the fact that he's aware of it and he's like kind of into that idea 
uh, I don't know, for some reason that makes it more upsetting to be like, wait, what's happening now? This is just, <laughs> they're accepting that this is like the status quo of their marriage. And I mean, I guess everybody's relationship is different, but it's just, I don't know, that doesn't seem healthy to me. But I, I mean, you know, you're sort of making me, helping me to see a little bit more of the fact that he is uh, trying to do better, maybe to, maybe if nothing else, to motivate him to not have to have another, uh, another mushroom omelet. Um, yeah. No, uh, I think I think you saw how many she put in the pan. Like, and and even he acknowledged, you know, go get your doctor. Like, you know, I don't, shit, yeah, I call, yeah. Like, you don't trust me, and 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 there at the end, he goes, "I trust you." I just uh, that's a lot of mushrooms. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> how many times have we were like, "Yeah, honey, I trust you," but uh, you know what? Just uh, get that thing over there, just in case. You know. What I mean? so. And there's so many things going on there too. I mean, they meet when they meet. She's the waitress that brings him this like very specific breakfast order. Oh uh, she sends, writes him a note, you know, w- with her name to to the hungry boy. So it's like kind of plays into the whole uh, omelet uh, ending. The fact that obviously he's got he's he's kind of hallucinates his dead mother during that scene when when he's uh, when he's poisoned and he's clearly got unresolved parenting issues and she ends up mm-hmm. kind of having to be sort of a a mother figure in in a, in a way, and that's how she mm-hmm. breaks through. The fact that early on, she, or earlier in the film, she realizes that like everything's a game to you, and so she's just like, okay, oh, okay, these are the rules to the game. Let me kind of flip the script on on Reynolds and mm-hmm. kind of play my own game back. And, and I think mm-hmm. that the way that she challenges him like that is ultimately what helps her distinguish herself from the endless line of uh, what is it, Joanna, who who uh, is yeah. Yeah, the endless line on. of Joanna's, right? Yeah, he's like, oh, just, I'll give her the October dress. He's like, a, thanks for playing. Yeah, you, you I mean, you didn't, yeah, you didn't win this game. It feels like when, you know, th- this movie also is very meta. We haven't talked about that. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is extremely meta. I mean, PTA is in a relationship with an actress. Um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is in a relationship with a director. They know, you know, but they're also, you know, these pragmatic guys, right? And it must not be easy to live with a guy who wants to be known as Daniel Plainview for seven, eight months or known as Abraham Lincoln Mm -hmm. for six or eight months or to be Maya Rudolph and have to, in the writing process for these strangely bizarre films at times, you know, to to be around that artist. I mean, I was watching, I remember seeing a DGA um, conversation or it wasn't DGA, it was like Santa Monica uh, or Santa Barbara Film Festival. And they had all the directors up there for this year, 2017 for Best Director. And Nolan talked about how his wife, the great producer Emma Thompson, uh, she said that, and his kids said that he's basically Reynolds Woodcock. Like when he's writing and setting up his movies and, and they basically have been, they called him that year Woodcock around the house. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it very much does feel like when we see the dress made for Henrietta at the beginning of the film, that feels like PTA showcasing a movie at a premiere. Right. Yeah. And because it's very much like there's all these, all these people, right. That are, are, are kind of, foofing it up or or moving things but he's walking around it right like as a director would like scoping it out right 
And as DDL walks around it and, and he kind of just holds on to the shoulders and he, and he thinks about it as one last second, envisioning how it's going to look probably the night she walks down that, you know, those staircases. And he says, let's take it for a stroll, meaning that's probably like, a, you know, a screening for the press or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And this idea of, is, then she says, it'll bring me courage for probably Henrietta's, you know, tragedy that we don't really know about. But it takes a it takes a lot of courage to release, you know, a project you've worked on three or four years out into the world, and then you're spent, you're done, right? You don't have a lot of inspiration. But what you get through the person you live with, your family, whatever that is, you get hunger. And what is the number one thing that this movie is always referring to when he has that itch again? to work or, and it's mostly from Alma. It's the hunger, the drive to want to create and keep doing it. And throughout the rest of the film, nobody else gives him that drive the way she does. And she does it through, yes, playing her game, which is a wonderful game, right? Because, you know, he basically tells her, if you don't like this and the way this is doing, then you can, you can F off. You can go back to where you came from. And she doesn't just take that because she does love him. She goes, no, 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 sir. You're going to play my game Mm -hmm. and we're going to play it by my rules. Otherwise, there ain't going to be no game anymore. It'll be done. And it's such a great way of thinking it because partnerships are not a one-sided thing. They are a two-sided thing. And so he has control dominance at the beginning. Obviously, she has it by the end more than he does, I think. And that's good because some, some relationships, like, look, some relationships, they work as a balance. Some of them work with ones being over the other. But she is, by taking control, gaining balance into his life that he desperately needs. And therefore, they can have cohesion. They can have a family. She, he can share his work even more with her and mm-hmm. trust her and not say bullshit like there's this cloud in this house that's not the case. It's, you know, everybody has the, 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 oh, did I make the right decision? He just had cold feet after he married her as opposed to having it before. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I, I, I think that ultimately it's about hunger, balance, and these filmmakers, this filmmaker and this actor who work side by side to create the story showing that behind every great man is the woman they're, you know, that they're with who inspires them, challenges them, and ultimately controls their own destiny by the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. I think it's it's a it's it's a wonderfully complex dynamic though too. And I think mm-hmm. it's one that's really easy to misinterpret. Uh, I think, and that's probably part of why I I didn't appreciate the film as much the first time is because it's easy to watch this and you know uh, see him sort of. It's very easy to see him as a misogynist. Yeah, use, using the, the woman as a muse for inspiration and sort of, it's sort of almost a, a form of objectification. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that he like, you know, immediately, you know, on their, on, after their date, uh, they go home and he's fitting her and he's like, oh, you know, you have no breasts. He's like, it's okay. That's my job to give them to you if I so choose. And I'm like, ew. Yeah. He's no. just like, yeah. I'm in control. This is my realm, you know, but he's so used to that. Uh, and, and, it's easy to kind of walk away from the movie being like, well, why do I, why am I rooting for this relationship? Look at this guy. She should just bail when he says, mm-hmm. why don't you just fuck off? And, and ultimately the whole 
point of the movie, as you were sort of, as you were mentioning, is that he's, is a, he is a mess under the surface. He he knows that he has to put up a big face because there's he's um what does he mention? He said he's at a sour heart. He's trying mm-hmm. to break the curse. He mentions mm-hmm. all this stuff and he's he says he's incurable. That he's just like very he's got clearly got a bunch of self loathing and other issues kind of plaguing him. Uh, probably guilt and and grief over his mother and. Mm-hmm. It ultimately kind of reveals that, oh, you know, you may have started this movie thinking this guy is an asshole and he's he's treating this these women, you know, terribly. And yes, that's the case, but it's only because he doesn't know what to do with himself because men, at least according to this movie, are a mess without a, a partner to yeah. balance them out, <clears throat> to give them no, I don't know, to give them the tough love in the form of a, a mushroom omelet or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of bring peace to their to their homes. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean you're hitting it perfectly. And I think in terms of partner, he never really had a partner in a relationship that wasn't his sister. Mm-hmm. Like Cyril is that yeah. for him, right? Like Cyril is this he calls her his old so and so. That's what you say to like somebody you're in a relationship, which does that's like kind of like those Rebecca things, right? Of like these weird, like these weird things, you know, that are said, and it's like this weird relationship that this this third person, right? Well, there's <laughs> that has. dinner that he that he shows that he goes to with um, with Alma, and then Cyril sort of comes out of nowhere, and you know, as the viewer, you're just sort of like, oh, oh, this is a three person date. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of weird well and even before that i mean she shows up at the yeah. cottage and yep. she does say she's coming but you forget because you're like on this date right and, and she just and and she walks up to alma and like smells her right and mm-hmm. it's like oh interesting you know i mean and she's she yeah she yeah, exactly and and she's examining her just as much as he's examining alma as well but alma's examining both of them because as Cyril opens the book for the measurements, she is like, Alma's like scanning her, right? This, this whole movie is, is looks. You ha- it, this movie says so much more than just the crackling dialogue that's on screen. Every character has these looks. Like at breakfast, the second time, where you know <laughs> Alma yeah. has learned to butter her toast correctly without pissing off Reynolds, right? And she just gives Cyril this look of a smile and it takes Cyril aback, right? Like none of these girls have ever cared to smile at me, to acknowledge my importance. You know what I mean? To, to see me as, as a, as a person rather than just like basically his partner in this enterprise that they're running. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why, when Alma brings up the idea of the birthday thing, or I'm sorry, not the birthday thing. It's more of a surprise thing. It's not his birthday. That's correct. So when she brings that up, she's very hesitant, but when she goes along with it and you know, when I initially saw it, I thought it was cold. Like with the way Cyril says, good luck. Right. And walks out. But the more I've watched it. And if you, you know, just kind of think about it, there is a little, if you listen to the voice inflection, it is not actually mean at all. It, it is a little hopeful. Like, I actually want you to do well with this. That's why I'm letting you do this. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to succeed because she knows that 
she can't take care of him forever either, right? And so then by the end, when Alma and Cyril have that good relationship, right? When you know when he's like, "Oh, you guys just crack on together," you know what I mean? <laughs> it's because a that's her sister-in-law at that moment, but b right. she knows how much work Alma has put in there. She knows how much respect she cares for the craft, and she also knows that she's the successor to hand all of this off. Like, obviously the mom was a big part of that. Cyril then took over that. And now Alma is, and it's the, it's the caretaker idea, but it's also the person to put in his place. Because mm-hmm. remember when he yells at Cyril, you oh, get God, of course I do. the best scene of the, <laughs> of the film where, you know, don't you speak to me like that? I'll, you know, I'll put you into the floor. And you won't be able to get up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It is, it's, it's caretaking in sheep's clothing because it's ultimately control. Mm-hmm. Like Cyril is in control. Uh, Alma's in control. The women that make that dress overnight that he damages, the, the wedding dress, they're all in control. He is just this boy, really, this, you know, that can't get over himself. And so ultimately, this is a this is like a, a a movie. Yes, where this man gets the credit, but ultimately, it's the women around him that make him who he is. And right. I find that fascinating. Yeah, he's the he's the name on the House of Woodcock, but he has all these women that that yeah, with without whom he's just yeah a pile in the corner basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I I love that we you know we got finally got into uh, Cyril and Alma's sort of dynamic which starts as a, a kind of competition and then grows into some uh you know mutual respect and uh, the fact that it, it, i think the big the big twist the big turn there is during the first poisoning where almost oh. uh, <laughs> closes the door cyril's like come on let's leave let's get out of the room and he's she's like okay follows her out closes the door behind her goes right back to uh to reynolds uh alma is even uh, mistakenly called Mrs. Woodcock at that point mm-hmm. before they even get by married or anything. Yeah. yeah, by the doctor. Uh, so, so it's really, it is sort of that transition of Cyril. In a way, Cyril has has been the the holding all the cards this whole time. She's been running the household uh, and letting Reynolds kind of take the the you know take the lead on it basically in a mm-hmm. way that Alma does at the end. And it's almost like, like you're saying, I think it is like Cyril's just like, Oh, thank God. Shift change. I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can, uh, I can not have to, you know, be the one to put up with all his bullshit and all this other stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I love that. And Leslie Mambo, when we mentioned here already, this, oh. th- she's so great in this movie uh, in that scene and, and pretty much everything she does on screen. And this is really such a, a true, three-hander which you don't really yeah. see that very often you don't usually see movies that are just three characters kind of in a house and that's it's just about the power struggle between the three of them back and forth and i love that about this movie yeah i mean it is in the in the vein of rebecca because that movie is a three-hander right you know and that also deals with the ghost of rebecca this deals with the ghost of his mother mm-hmm. and who taught him his trade and ultimately he feels cursed by, right? And and so there's all those like little wonderful things that he just kind of throws in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love Cyril because of the fact that like when we really first see her, like when she goes to the door to answer it for Henrietta at the beginning of the film, she's just got this very like 
she's composed herself. She's picked her, you know, she's, she is that person in there, right? That Mm -hmm. she's cleans up all of his messes. She is the, she is the one that really does run the whole thing. Like you said, I also love the scene where, you know, it's right after Alma smiles at her and she kind of like, okay, well, I guess I am a person in this whole place. And she reminds Reynolds of, Barbara Rose, you know, coming and, and, and the wedding and that the, he might get invited to it. And he just kind of like, really, you're going to tell me this. And, and she just, she says it point blank to him. She's like, that woman pays for this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is another thing. Like, it's like a meta thing too. is, is I thought of that being like PTA more than Daniel day Lewis. And that scene of like some big studio head coming that you hate, you know what I mean? Somebody that is despicable or has bad taste or is very about themselves. And you're just like, okay, sure. I'll give them the film they want. I'll give them the meeting. Right. Oh, I have to go to lunch with them next week at their, you know, son's bar mitzvah or whatever. Sure. I'll go. I'll do that. Oh, I got to go to, you know, another charity event with them. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Cause I need to pay for the bills. Right. I need to make sure that this place is good. And then that person, you know, said it's kind of like they're wearing the dress, right? So they like are showcasing his film or the idea, his pitch or whatever. And the person gets drunk and makes a fool of it. And all. And then you have like Alma there saying like, that woman doesn't deserve your, you know, your, your work, mm-hmm. you know, therefore that person probably, and I don't know if this has ever happened to PTA, you'd have to answer it, but it feels like, studio head crapping all over his work. He gets the inspiration from his wife, you know, to get his work back, get the rights back. And they take it back in the middle of the night through this crazy <laughs> scene. But in the movie, it is, we're going up to the room and we're taking the dress. Right. You know? <laughs> and that's another scene where on the one hand, I'm like, holy crap, they're just going in and ripping clothes <laughs> off the sleeping woman. I'm like, that's, that it's it's kind of you know it's one of those one of those real like WTF moments in this movie like oh, wait so what's weird. happening what are they doing <laughs> but in the context of the movie and their relationship that's where she proves to him that she cares just as much about his work as yeah. he does because she's he's like oh don't start crying like it's bad enough I'm already here and then you're gonna cry and she's like I'm not crying like you should be pissed yeah like yeah I'm agree with you on and it's like and he's like all right let's go and then he. He doesn't go do it. He tells Alma to go do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, because obviously that would look really bad if he, like, that would be worse. he did that. Yeah. But obviously she has the passion behind her to go and be like, yeah, this is messed up. And then she's the one carrying the dress over her shoulder as they're walking down the street laughing and kissing. You know what I mean? Like she yeah. cares about that dress. She cares about his work. And that's ultimately why she cares about him. You know what I mean? Because you care about, you know, your your significant other's passions or their craft or whatever in life, you know, then the little things that they argue or bitch and moan about mean nothing in the grand scheme of it, you know? And it goes down to, yeah, you're going to have most of the days in a marriage or in a relationship, they're not, they're not ones you're putting in the hall of fame. You know what I mean? But would you take those two to three weeks or that are absolutely perfect? You would. Mm-hmm. And would you do whatever means necessary for them to happen? You would. And was that me making some uh, questionable omelets? You bet. You know? <laughs> so. 
And the fact that he's on board with that being the 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 tool by the end, I think it's just, you know, it, mm. it makes it it in weird way validates what she's doing because it's not she's not deceiving him any longer. He mm. is he's like, yes, please help me, God. I don't know what the hell I'd do without you, Alma. Mm. It's kind of that dynamic. And I think in a weird way, her going <laughs> tearing the dress off of her, uh, it, it's like, wait, it's it's wrong in a number of levels. But on the other hand, it's also like, well. She's fighting for for hit what you know for his work for hit what he values you know in a way how is that any different than like you know if I if I get uh, billed by the insurance company wrongfully and my wife's like oh no fuck this I'm gonna call them <laughs> and I'm gonna get that I'm gonna get that that you know that charge removed or whatever you know what I mean mm-hmm. kind of stepping yeah. up and, and fighting for your your partner and uh, yeah I think that that part of it definitely rings true. Uh, in my life and just kind of my my relationship experience, so I I love that the this sort of um, the the way that 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 power just goes back and forth and the way that ultimately I think what what makes uh, Alma's I I guess game for lack of a better term it work or makes us definitely on on her side or or more rooting for this relationship to happen is that she is coming from a, a genuine place of care. Like she wants to, she's going things out of, you know, throwing off his routine, but in that way, challenging him and also trying to find a way to express herself. Like she tells Cyril, she's like, I want to love him the way I, you know, I want, want to know, get to know him or know him the way I want to or whatever. Just basically she mm-hmm. wants it to come from her genuinely, not just, well, okay, what are the rules that I need to play by, you know, in order to get a, a minute, a few minutes alone with him. Uh, in this house crowded with like an entire staff of people. No, I totally agree. And I think it then goes into those scenes in the middle of the film when the princess comes mm-hmm. and she <clears throat> sees the kind of the, the a little bit of him, you know, kind of doing his, his old shtick with her. Right. right. Um, but it's not really like that. And, and, and it's, it's the form of jealousy. Like, I think he gets jealous at the end that she leaves for that party. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that, and, and that he's like, Oh, I'm, you know, like he's, he's also a little, he plays a little coy with that, with the, the doctor. Right. Um, though that's planted in his head by this obnoxious woman. Um, but there, there is that thing of, of that. He becomes jealous at a certain point. Well, she's jealous really first because of this girl. And, and while she's being fitted, she goes from one person to the other and she, she wishes her luck on her wedding, but she's like, I'm Alma. I live here. Mm-hmm. And it, and that it's that establishment of that. Alma's not going anywhere. Like she loves being there. I mean, the whole scene where they make their, her dress, but then they also do the kind of fashion show. Right. And her smiles throughout that entire mm-hmm. time. And her looking at him as he is doing his craft, right? As he is setting the girl's hat on her head or making sure that, you know, the dress is, you know, fixed to the right angle. She's looking at it as she's changing and, and going into her next, you know, outfit. But she's, she is doing what this movie does. She's examining him in his element and admiring it and loving it, right? And... That's why she, you know, she does the dinner, but even ultimately she realizes that, wait, I'm, there's no, I shouldn't be talking like this. Like, this is stupid. Why am I jealous over this? Like, 
we were fi- we were fine. We all do it. Like I do it all the time with my wife. So I sympathize with Alma there, where we think we have to do this this thing, but we were doing okay before that. There was no need to change the routine, and sometimes it then needs to be changed. No, it, it is that thing of like what needs to be changed and what doesn't, right? What is the priority over that? Because by having this this flash of guilt, she she realizes, or or having this jealousy, she realizes that okay, maybe she she broke up or the routine or whatever. But then she does get to the fundamental reason why she ends up doing the action she does later, which is that he's he's on the verge of of killing what is a great thing in his life because of his stupid tough boy facade. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, 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 you're not this guy. And she knows that. And that's why she, you know, she says, you're not like this. You're not that tough. She says this to him a couple of times. Like, you're not that tough. He takes it as an insult, but it's not an insult. It, it, it is a way to, to kind of slap back the guard that he puts up. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, no, and I and I I like you know as a a writer, a podcaster, kind of a creative person, I like I love movies that speak to not only you know that sort of you know uh, not false confidence, but that sort of like you know in in having a podcast in writing anything, you're basically there's this, there's an inherent bit of narcissism to that, in that yeah. I have something to say that is that is worth listening to or reading or whatever, and so I love that there's sort of that there's always that little part of uh, of any creative mind, it's, it's just the fragility to it, the sort of um, just how how little it takes to throw everything off, how little it takes to kind of throw off. Not only you know for him, it's the routine, it's the breakfast has to be quiet. I use you know the, the amount of pressure that he has that he's under as the as the figurehead of this fashion house, but also that he puts on himself in addition to that. I and mean, he says, I, I think it's the ex- assumptions and expectations of others that cause heartache. And I think that's really, oh, yeah. that, that's a great line too. I wrote the whole mm-hmm. thing down. Uh, it, it's, you know, he has to feel like what he's doing is, is like he says, it's right because it's right. He's like, this mm-hmm. is the way it is because if this isn't the way it is, what the hell have I been doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> it's right, it's, it, yeah, everything before is meaningless, right? Because right? it's like, if Cyril says it's right, it's right. That's what the code book has been saying throughout my guidebook of life. And, and she <laughs> is the, the wrench in all that saying, no, there's a different way of life. Your clothes and your money and your rules, they don't, they're not good. They're not the only way to live. Right. Like, you know, and injecting me into this, you don't adapt to me. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to adapt to you, Reynolds. You're going to adapt to me. And that's what happens. And Cyril does it. Everyone else does it. He can do it. And by the end, he does, you mm-hmm. know, so it, and, and that's, and that is ultimately a compromise. That's compromising. Right. right. And that's exactly what you have to do in a relationship too. You have to compromise. If you are just stuck on your sides, then, then it's going to be a fight. And it's going to be a stupid fight. Like, where's your gun? Do you have a gun? You know, like, you know, or, you know I feel like I've been dropped behind enemy lines, you know, <laughs> but we all feel that. But ultimately at the end, you have to compromise. You have to grow the hell up. And he does, you know, with a little nudging. Sometimes we need a little nudge. Mm-hmm, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot to that in any, in, in any creative capacity, 
you you need to yeah you need to believe that what you're doing is worthwhile otherwise it deflates everything it throws you off your routine like you know um Cyril says if breakfast is thrown off it's really hard for him to recover for the rest of the day and as a person <laughs> as a writer and as someone who has to be in a certain level of concentrated headspace i understand that i don't act yeah. out the way that this guy does obviously yeah. Uh, because uh, otherwise my marriage probably wouldn't be doing that well if I had to behave <laughs> like that. Uh, because, you know, the level of arrogance and, and uh, the hissy fit that he throws with the buttering, the toast and things like that. But I also, there's, a, there's an element of truth to that. And, you know, in my research, this was inspired by a moment PTA had when he was sick and his wife was kind of tending to him. And I think he sort of sees that the light there uh, as far as, when we're under the weather or sick or dealing with anything, I actually had last year, I think I had sort of like uh, oral surgery. I had like, uh, you know, receding gum lines and things that needed to be tended to. And so I was like in a lot of pain. And that during that period, I was like, oh my God, this is just like phantom thread because I'm really appreciating my wife right now who's t- <laughs> taking care of me and things like that. And sometimes it takes that sort of perspective to pull you away from your own bullshit and realize, wait a minute, this person actually cares for me. Maybe I should try a little bit harder not to be, you know, not to be an asshole or, or to, you know, to cope better with the daily stresses. And, you know, mm. in the world of a pandemic that we're in right now, I think that's truer than ever where families and couples are finding themselves stuck at, in quarantine together. I think there's a, there's a lot to sort of learn from uh, Reynolds and Alma's story here. No, I agree. I mean, you know, it is also, you know, I mentioned earlier the little things right that start an argument or some of the little things that you fall in love with with a person right Mm -hmm. that over time they become annoyances like when she pours tea for him at the restaurant at the beginning of the film she then does it at breakfast and he's like uh what are you doing you know Mm -hmm. and then right before she feeds him the omelet the way she pours water right in that final sequence Mm -hmm. it is the one last like oh yeah I'm pouring water like this. Tough. And she's it's like great. Going she out of her way to be like, she is totally flexing in that moment. She, like she oh, is, absolutely. He is like, I got this man. Like you, you are wrapped around my finger, but I agree with you. It's, it's that, you know, that thing that PTA always talked about when that his wife did take care of him. Um, and that look in her eye. Right. And, you know, I, I've, i had my, I was sick, a, you know, about a couple months ago and uh, it wasn't COVID. So everybody calm down. It wasn't a mushroom omelet. It wasn't a mushroom omelet either. I know of, but my wife took care of me and it, it really, first of all, some, some people are really good when they're sick. Some people aren't, I know I'm not. So I have to try to be better each time. And um, because it comes back around because then I had to take care of my wife recently mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And you really, I think, find empathy for the person that you're with when they are in their most vulnerable state. And I think in, when you are on the opposite end, you find so much um, attention and, um, and all those little things that you were probably mad about the day before you got sick or whatever, they all go by the wayside because of that want, that need, that drive to have that person that you love in your life and, and really want them to take care of you because you know that they're there not to do that, but it's because you would do the same thing for them, mm-hmm. right? And that ultimately is this thing at the end of the film 
that I think about too is just that, yeah, she's taking care of him, but the movie kind of ends with like him laid down and that hunger's back alive, right? And when he said, like, the last line of the film is, yeah, I'm getting hungry. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And she smiles. But it, it's, it's that it's, there's another little scene in the middle of the film that's very, that's shot very similar to that, you know, with the, at the cabin there with the, with the fire working where he's writing or he's drawing, he's sketching mm. and she's threading, right? And it's, a, it's like 10 seconds, right? It's, it's not even that long. But it's such a big foreshadow to that final scene where they're in bliss, right? Where she's doing that voiceover and she says, it's a couple of days, everything, but it's quiet. And most of the life is like that scene where you're on a couch, your wife's sitting there or your partner, whoever's listening to this is sitting over there and you're sitting on the other end of the couch and probably most likely you're on your phones. Mm-hmm. Let's just face it. <laughs> you're on phones or you're reading a book or they're doing an activity and you're just there and you don't take that for granted. You know what I mean? Like, you know, then it kind of goes back to, well, the argument that he says where, Oh, you have me all the time. No work doesn't count. Like if I'm working at home right now, my wife's there, that doesn't count as time together. Those moments, even though you're not talking, you're together on a couch or you're there, you know, as he's sketching and she's doing the, the needle point, those are the moments that she wants and she ultimately gets. And you can see that, the turning point is made by the end. They have a baby. You know, obviously that, that takes a lot of hopefully responsibility on Reynolds case. I would love to see like, like a, just a short of how that turned out. <laughs> um, but ultimately at the end, it, it, that's why I think it is the togetherness because they seem to have found a middle point by the end. They seem to have found that, 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 uh, what, what am I trying to say? It, it, they, they found, the middle ground. And therefore, once you find that, everything's gold. It breezes through it. Like people, when I first got married, they always were like, oh, are you nervous? And then it's like, I've been with my I've been with my wife for, you know, I've been in a relationship with my wife. We've been married for two years. We've been together 12. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So we've been through it all, folks. And I tell you, it's not easy. But it, you know, marriage is, is just another thing you, it's, it's paperwork. What really is 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 the thing is is the the relationship itself, and if it's built on a foundation of trust, admiration, respect, and compromise, then everything is peaches and cream. All the small stuff falls by the wayside, and you gotta just learn when to pick your battles, right? Ultimately, and these and these two are very formative, you know, adversaries at times, and that's what you feel like in a relationship. But they know how to pick their battles, and ultimately, Oma picks the right one, and she ultimately wins the war, which is to have a semi-normal relationship with the man she loves. And, you know, so much, I have a lot to respond to what you're saying, because I 100% agree with that. It's only <laughs> through, um, it's only through relationship and, and being in it that you're able to really grow mm-hmm. as a person too. I mean, he says in that, in the, 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 one of the best scenes in the movie, the, the confrontation scene at dinner where she made the mm-hmm. dinner for him, that whole thing. Uh, where he, she's like, oh, what is it? She's like, oh, I'm admiring my own gallantry, <laughs> which is, I love the way he phrased that. The fact that she's like, you know, I like my asparagus made with, uh, I forget what it is. He likes it with, with um, 
Oil. Oil and salt, I but, think, or something. Yeah, oil she and made salt with butter. with butter, yes. Right, and it's one of those like things that, yeah, if you're living the bachelor life for, I guess, in Reynolds' case, decades, you're going to be like, well, this is how I eat asparagus. Why would you make it this way? But it's <laughs> it's it's kind of the, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a sticking point for a relationship that you're going to have those, those sort of early, early elements that you're going to have to work through in order to grow and mm-hmm. broaden your horizon. And yeah, maybe this person, maybe the person you're, you're with is into jazz and maybe you don't like jazz, but guess what? She wants you to go. She wants to, in this movie, she wants to go to the party. She wants to go dancing. She's hangs out with you working on dresses all the time. So you have to kind of bend a little <laughs> bit. And, and it, I think there's, there's so much truth to that. And, um, you know, even being at home constantly, my wife still says to me sometimes, like, I feel like I haven't seen you. And I'm like, what do you mean? We were just here. We're in the house all the time. This is all we do. <laughs> and it's that quality time, that one-on-one, you know, actually being present with each other as opposed to being in the same room. It's a very different thing. Uh, I, I wanted to also point out a, a couple other things that I, we had, hadn't mentioned specifically. One of the be- uh, one of the other best lines in the movie that we didn't that we didn't point out is when she bringing him the- she's bringing him the tea. Oh my god! She- and he and she's like, oh, <laughs> she's like, it's a little late, isn't it? And she's like, oh, okay, I'm taking it. It's going. It's like the tea is going. The interruption is staying right here with me. Uh, so that's so true. That's it's, great- it's so true. <laughs> it's so wow. true, but it's stated so beautifully. Uh, also, um, I wanted to also touch on the title of the movie which is it stems from a conversation that they have early on in their in their relationship where he's explaining about he has a lock of his mom's hair sewn mm-hmm. into the ca- canvas of his coat and that you can sew almost anything in there hidden messages and all kinds of things like that in your mind what is or or in your interpretation what is the significance of the concept of a phantom thread as far as as it pertains to uh their relationship oh my god wow that's a dang Rob. That's a great question because that's one I've tackled with for years. Seeing this movie, oh my god. Um, I mean, I think it. it this is 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 it all stems from that idea of this being connected to Rebecca and mm. this idea of what the mother represents. She is this figure. He's had these dreams. You know, where he he talks about, like, I had this with Cyril right before he goes to the countryside and meets Alma. He talks about he had this dream of her, right? And her just calling out to him. And there's all these these things that, you know, that he hasn't thought about from her in a long time. And then he talks about having her with him and and then talking about this curse and and that his mother is this, this figure that is hanging large over his life because his life work basically is dedicated and Cyril's life work is dedicated to his mother and almost the one that asks him about his mother. And, you know, cause he says you should carry her with you always. Cause you know, we always carry our loved ones we've lost with us, but he literally carries a mm-hmm. lock of hair inside there. You know, he talks about that. You could have secrets, you could have this or that in there. And, you know, then you, you see the the dress, right, that he makes for the princess. And it says, never cursed, right, or not cursed or something like that. Mm-hmm. And because he's hopeful that she can have the bliss that he thinks he can't have. So ultimately, the thread part is obviously, I mean, it's all about, you know, 
sewing together this the you know in in a dress or whatever you want on the basic level but really this phantom thread i think if you're putting me on the spot (laughs) is ultimately about him weaving a new line of thinking in his life beyond the pressures of his past and the person threading the needle is alma and Therefore, literally, we see that she's threading things throughout this entire movie. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, she is weaving a thread of him finding remorse from his haunted past, but also him having a life. And she can finally represent a constant in his life that isn't, you know, going to ultimately drive him mad. It's going to get him sick. But it's not going to drive him mad. And yeah, so he'll feel he'll feel like he's going to die, but he won't. Yeah, but exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which I just I love that because oh, oh, I just oh my god, I don't understand. We haven't mentioned this. I don't understand how the screenplay didn't get nominated for an Academy Award. I know it was a very heavy year. I think it was like Lady Bird and um, Shape of Water and Get Out and The Big Sick, and I. Think was it Dunkirk was the other one that got in there? I would throw that Dunkirk screenplay out right oh, now, yeah. Or, yeah. or maybe even. And I love The Big Short, but uh, not The Big Short. Uh, the Big Sick. I'm sorry, The Big Sick was it. And I would probably take that because this screenplay. I mean, it's so memeable. It's so. I mean, like it's so quotable, memeable. However you want to say it, however you want to do it. Like uh, there's so many things within this movie that I, I think back on lines, and and you've said some too. Um, that are just, I mean, I, I love, uh, we haven't, one of my favorite lines, and I think it's very underrated. It is in the, the butter scraping scene. Right. And it's like, it's like a horse, a bunch of horses just galloped in here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's yeah. so true. Like we, we come up with the most elaborate things when our, when our spouse or they come up with the same thing too. When, when, you know, to, ex, you know, over-exaggerate the issue that is so small at hand. You know what I mean? Right, right. But I'm I'm interested. What do you think the ending or the title of the film represents? I think it's um obvious. It's of course a reference to his mother's lock of hair sewn into his coat. But I think it's about that burden that he's been carrying of his past, of his his uh, loneliness, his grief, his sort of um, the 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 baggage, the emotional baggage that he has. And as you were saying, you know, I, I'm going to kind of crib a little bit of from, from your notes here uh, as you were saying about Alma threading throughout the movie I think it's about Alma kind of being the person in his life to come in and to help him make sense of uh, of his emotions to kind of bring him a, a sense of balance uh, and sort of make peace with uh, with his his past trauma um, lately <laughs> this is totally a little mini tangent but lately I've been really into I know this was not a hugely critically lauded movie but i was really big into it chapter two lately i just got the blu-ray sitting here so i was watching that a lot and that whole thing is about literally the literal demons of their childhood and them trying to make peace with their their trauma and and find a a new way of of sort of starting a a life uh free of that and and kind of unburdened and and seeing a a world of of uh, new possibilities beyond the, the sort of the whatever event happened in their past, whether it's in this case for Reynolds, the loss of his mother and everything that has happened since then. And 
kind of viewing himself, stop viewing himself as incurable, as cursed, as having a sour heart and sort of picking up the pieces of his life and, and creating something, something brand new out of that. And so I, I think I, I, I was sort of kind of in line with what you were thinking, but I, it's definitely, you know, he's definitely been haunted by his, his mother literally in this movie at one point. So I think that's really the phantom thread is just kind of the, the ghost of his past that he can't seem to shake. No, for no, for sure. And, and, and it's, 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 oh God, it's such a great title. And I, I got to think about it more. Maybe, maybe the next time I see it, I'll, I'll pick up something else and I'll have to let you know, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, for sure. I mean, there is that little, those little elements, right. And it is that thing that when he, I think that that scene, when he does see his mom, you know, and he's on the kind of deathbed and he's talking to her. I think that that's one, it's beautifully lit. Like, PTA mm-hmm. did his own cinematography on this. Maybe I don't know. It sounds like he, he did. He, yeah, I, he sounds like, like he didn't really want to take full credit for it. Yeah, he got a lot of but he didn't also want to give anyone full credit. I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it was weird. a weird. It was a weird thing with that cinematography. But um, that scene is so beautifully lit, and it's so it's very haunting. That's the only time it like this movie that is very funny and. Uh, you know, very dark at times can be haunting, like have that, have that Hitchcockian vibe to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what we haven't talked about um, beyond the costumes, which are just out of bounds here and just extraordinary is that house itself, mm, like yeah. the, the house of Woodcock, right. The, the staircase and all the rooms and how there's this underneath. And it's just this whole, it feels like this g- giant scope of a place right with endless doors and 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 oh my god like i i i want to find that place just to walk up those stairs that staircase is out of bounds i mean it's you know it's it's one of those things where you you set up a a a world and you got to find it and they they scout located for that perfectly and i think of the score and how it plays with it right the you know the the piano kind of you know dun 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 you know it's it in the way you know greenwood's you know score for there will be blood or the master there's they're very i think they're very big scores right mm-hmm. yeah i think this one is more classic you know it relies more on the piano and then of course towards the end when you get to the 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 the, the big booms off the, the the drums and then the, the the strings right and it feels very eerie at the end especially with the omelet scene like there's so much going on within the craft of this movie beyond just the 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 meta elements and the what we see on screen with the story all the craft is elevated to a great great height as as it is mostly done in a lot of PTA films yeah, I mean, even even though I was, I have been historically sort of reticent to really embrace PTA's movies. Even that, even back in two thousand seven, when I saw There Will Be Blood, and I was like, I don't know about this movie. This is a little, not what I thought it would be, or whatever. Even then, I was like, but this performance is amazing, and look how well made this movie is. And like, a techni- on a technical level, he his films are pretty much beyond reproach. Uh, I think as far as the Oscar for best screenplay not getting, you know, the screenplay not getting a nomination, I think it's largely due to just yeah like you said the competition and also the fact that this movie is it takes a couple of watches to really yeah. kind of get immersed in what the actual story is about yes it sounds you know the lines are great and the acting is, is wonderful which is why 
of course, DDL and, and um, Leslie Manville got nominations. But I think that's probably why some people were like, I don't know, what was, where was he going for with that? I didn't get a chance to see it again. It's, you know, I, it's because it is kind of in a way a, a dense movie. I mean, look, we've talked about it more. We've gone over time with uh, talking <laughs> about this movie. And I feel like you probably still have a lot of your four and a half pages of notes left. I have so many notes, so many <laughs> notes, but no, I mean it, it, it but what's surprising about the screenplay, nom, not, lack of screenplay nomination, I guess you could say, is that he's surprise nominated in best director. I mean, deservedly so, mm-hmm. but nobody that morning saw Phantom Thread getting the love it got, right? I, I remember a lot of people telling me, it's DDL costumes and that's it. And then like Manville got in, obviously the score got in, which was great. And then like when they got picture and director, I was like, okay, then why didn't he get screenplay? Because you know, (laughs) it's crazy that the master screenplay and this screenplay didn't get in, but inherent vice got in. Like like, the one that really doesn't have like a good script. (laughs) Like I wouldn't like bank my money on the inherent vice script. Um, So it's interesting. The, the Academy's appreciation for PTA in certain craft areas, but it's a wonderful movie. It's a, mm-hmm. it, it's so, it, it could have been nominated across the board. I mean, we didn't even talk about like how, you know, DDL got in there and, and Leslie Manville, but Vicki Kreps should have totally been in a best yeah. actress conversation. She's so, she's so good in this movie. And I don't think we've talked, I know we've talked about Alma, but through all of Alma, you get this immaculate performance that is is one of my favorites I've ever seen. I mean, she's so good. And it's really hard to go tat for tat against someone like Daniel Day-Lewis or Leslie oh, yeah. Manville because they're great. And she definitely holds her own. Yeah, absolutely. I think also if you, if, you know, she is obviously the one entering the world of, of Reynolds Woodcock. So in large way, she's also in kind of an argument. There's an argument to be made for that. She is the protagonist of the movie. Yes. That she's yeah, the no, audience I, I, surrogate. I, yeah. She's, yeah, she's, she's our, our doorway into this man and his meticulously laid plans, basically. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, we're in the house of Woodcock and you know, yeah, it's Daniel day loses last movie. Yeah, 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 I get that. This is Alma's story. Mm-hmm. Like from the, she is the first person we hear in this movie. She is. Yeah, She's yeah, the she last is. person we hear. She gets first and last say. <laughs> it's, it says a lot. In, in the movie and um, in the House of Woodcock, as it turns out. Yeah. No, she, she, is, she is the lead. This is her film. Like, this is Alma's story. And weaved in it is this, yeah, it's these crazy characters, the Woodcocks. Um, but, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it, I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, it's totally... Alma's story and yeah she's our audience because like there are moments like with the dress like going back to the dress just real quick like Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in there like I'm agreeing with Alma I'm like yeah like somebody may not put all that time and effort you saw how much time and effort to put to put that wedding dress back together like how much time did it take to put it that whole thing and she's like wiping and she's drunk not appreciative yeah go get that dress go do it and it leads to like I love that part I love the scene where like in the scene where the Barbarossa's son comes out and he's like, give me Mr. Woodcock. He just goes, Cal. And he's, and then the kid just runs. Cause he knows like, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm getting the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This movie is, we is one of the funniest movies I think I've ever seen. And as more and more I watch it, I laugh a lot 
because it's it it hits on a lot of things that are very personal. Mm-hmm. And so and it's also like kind of a sneakily romantic comedy then in that sense, not in like the traditional sense, but in a very dark right. sense, because it has this romance element and it is extremely hilarious. And it's all those little things right in life, all the little things that make it so funny and, and interesting and, and also dumb. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, it's great. Uh, is there anything else about Phantom Thread that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we, we sneak in there before we, um, before we start wrapping up? Oh my God. Um, no, I don't think so. I, 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 I saw this film with my wife, my wife, liked it she's like she she you know what we go back to compromises to my wife she she hadn't really never seen a paul thomas anderson film in her life and i showed her a lot of them you know as a you know as a guy and you know that likes movies and stuff and and she's put up with a lot of them she actually does like paul thomas anderson movies uh except magnolia she's she's like what the frogs what the hell um <laughs> yeah, that's like, the make or break for that's the make or break magnolia. and i and i don't i don't falter for that i don't it's like i don't fault anybody for not liking them i get it but um then i did i i went and saw this again with uh, it was weird ddl and paul thomas anderson and i took my mom because she really wanted to see it because she was like we saw there people and, like, and we laughed a lot in it you know what i mean <laughs> and then uh, we rewatched it, me and my wife with some friends of ours and everything, and we were all laughing. And so I think that, and as we've talked over time, she, she, she's like tired of the movie because we, I've seen it so many times and right. she's like, okay, I get it. You know, it's a great movie, but put something else on. Um, but, uh, I just, I love this experience. It's one of my favorite movie going experiences of the last decade is to watch that with her and walk out. And I think that that's what we miss right now is walking out of a movie theater and having these wonderful conversations with our significant others, at least for me. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that. And you probably yourself, Rob, because those car rides home, those are like the best, best experiences you can have. And so with everybody right now, it's, you can't really have that. You can have them in the house. I mean, moving from the couch to the kitchen, to the different, you know, it's, it doesn't have as glamorous as the 20 minute ride home, but I, that's what I also remember about this movie is having those conversations and, and getting a lot of the, the thoughts and opinions and, and her calling, you know, saying you kind of do it like that and me doing, you know, kind of pointing back and figures. And it's, it's a real interactive one. So I would say, you know, you, you, you're in a relationship and you want to test the waters and you want to see how it's going, put on this movie and, uh, and see where they lie and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. It's like, see, see what they think of the ending, you know, <laughs> phantom thread or gone girl. Those are your options. If you're in a, in a invested long-term relationship and you're like, let's spice Total things up bill. a little bit. Let's get, see, let's get a status update on our, <laughs> on our relationship. How are things really going? Exactly. Great. Well, um, Ryan McQuaid, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan McQuaid 77 and on Instagram at Ryan McQuaid 77. And you can find my stuff at insessionfilm.com and awardcircuit.com. And thank you so much, Rob, for having me on. And I'm sorry I went over. I'm just no, no, it's all good. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. And, you know, this is one of those movies that I was more conflicted about before, before when we at the start of the conversation. But as we've talked it out, I'm like, yeah, maybe I didn't think of it that way. I'm starting to like, and that's the other fun thing about this movie, this podcast is having, you know, getting a chance to see movies I hadn't seen before or 
going back and revisiting things that I was like, I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I need to watch it more closely now because I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. Let me, <laughs> let me kind of dig into it a little bit more. And you always, by the end of the conversation, I have at least a greater appreciation for the movie. So I definitely need to just go back and do a deep dive into the PTA oeuvre and, uh, and see where I, where I come out on the other end. Because he's definitely, at, minimum, at the minimum, a very interesting and dynamic filmmaker. And so people listening that haven't caught up with some of his older movies, uh, I would definitely suggest you do that before, before the movie theater is open again. And then, you know, we're going to be talking about Tenet and Wonder Woman and Mulan and whatever else big budget <laughs> kind of spectacle things are eventually going to hit theaters. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check this out. And if you've seen it before and, and sort of dismissed it, kind of, uh, I would definitely give it another shot because there's, as we've talked about this episode, there's a lot to talk about with Phantom Thread. And who knows, you're, while you're in quarantine, it'll make for an interesting, uh, <laughs> an interesting for an inter- yeah, experiment. It's a good yeah, quarantine exactly. experiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thank you so much, Ryan. We'll have to have you come back on, talk about something else uh, in the near future. Just let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to figure out what next I want to, want to go back and look away because that was the thing is picking this. I, I hadn't seen it in a while and gave me a great chance. And, and thank you so much, Rob, for having me on again. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, Ryan. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.